0: Good morning, and welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm your host Ryan Wolt, and today I get to chat with Alden Hazuri. He wears a lot of hats. For starters, he's the general manager, operations manager at Cafe Latteir, one of this show's roast industry partners. He's also the founder and head roaster of Crossings Coffee Company, which he started in 2015. Alden chats with me from Cafe Latteir, and it was kind of lovely to hear the sound of coffee beans pouring, steam wand steaming and drinks being made and people chatting in the background. He is inquisitive and purposeful and clearly motivated. He's also a bit of a grinder, putting forth his best efforts day after day after day on a bunch of different projects. This dude was set to go to medical school before pivoting into coffee, which feels like a theme with high-motor coffee professionals. Not the medical school specifically, but the pursuit of high-intensity careers that eventually lead them to coffee. Before we get to all that, take a moment to follow at cafe.later, at Crossings Coffee, and at Roast West Coast on Instagram, and then share this podcast with a friend. We appreciate your help growing this show, and a special thanks to Marissa, who tweeted it out to her followers last week. That was awesome. I hope you're out there listening to this episode right now and re watching Reality Bites, which I'll admit I owned on VHS tape. If you've been listening and enjoying, please think about supporting the creation of the show with a paid subscription option on roastwestcoast.com. Those subscriptions help us provide more and more coffee content, improve the quality of the show, and find more ways to engage with you all. This morning, I'm drinking a cup of coffee. So, it's pretty much the same routine as every other morning. And I hope you have a full mug too, because it's time for the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast and this interview with Alden Hazuri. To, to see you, man. It's been, it's been a minute. Let's just jump into the show. Can you give me a, just a quick, uh, what's your name and your multiple, many, many titles?
1: <laughs> my name is Alden Hazuri, and I do a lot of coffee stuff. Um, I guess the, the thing that I'm first and most closely associated to would be my brand, Crossings Coffee. I launched it back in 2015 as a um, one of many roasters across San Diego, and um, the goal being to source and deliver exquisite coffee. to the people, my spin, my, my hook, my, uh, drive is kind of taking my research oriented background and applying it to coffee where we can take the lens and take a deep dive on understanding what happens, everything from seed to cup and every step along the way, kind of demystifying the black boxes surrounding what it takes to, you know, build, create and deliver great coffee. I try to take that approach in every single step in my coffee philosophy, um, everything from, I've got coffee growing in my backyard. I'm collaborating with farmers across the world on, you know, fun fermentation experiments. I'm repeating them here at home and not in a way to be like, look, I can do it too, but more being like, holy shit, this is really, really hard. How did you guys manage to pull this off on scale? And also how are you, how are you able to have the idea and approach to be able to like, hey, let's tweak this one variable, let's tweak this variable and understand how it impacts the coffee down the road. You know i'm a fermentation nerd i've been you know brewing coffee and kombucha for years and uh, so kind of jumping into you know different fermentation styles and techniques within coffee was kind of like my natural next step and uh roasting it as well so that's kind of my business in being able to take that uh really deep analytical dive on where good coffee comes from and how we can better appreciate it getting here and translate that into not necessarily an educational format, but bring transparency where people can, you know, see this one coffee, whether it's like a daily driver or like a high flyer. And um, hopefully so people can better appreciate and understand all the work and knowledge and collective mindset it took to
0: get that
1: coffee from wherever it came from to that cup you're holding in your hands.
0: Uh, I want to say um, you've you've been on this show once before we were talking about how you were in the process of just opening opening up a cafe in Solana Beach and you're actually sitting in that cafe and I'm sitting here in my closet thinking, God, that sounds so nice to hear the beans dropping and just kind of the chatter <laughs> of people around. And uh, yeah. so I'm going to leave all that into the show. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I want to get really into crossings today, but I want to just take a brief moment since we were on the show talking about Cafe La Terre and just ask you what's going on over there. Um, you have the open location you're in on the Pacific coast highway in Solana Beach and you're under construction, I believe, at a second location. What's the status? And then I'm kind of qu- wondering, having a background in hospitality, what kind of delays, what kind of uh, what kind of preparation time do you build into a project like that? I feel like everyone says, you know what, we're going to be open November 1st. And then November 1st is December 1st is Christmas is and so on and so forth. And so I'm wondering how you adapt to that while you're running this business and the roastery
1: it it's a it's a project for sure um so we i'm i'm really fortunate within this project um for for cafe later in that you know the the concept it's a bit strange um i should start off by saying that where cafe later is kind of co-branded with another business called salon world suites um salon world suites is similar to um solo salons um, if you're familiar with that business model, where basically rather than having a building with chairs that the owners are renting out to people, they've built individual suites that they sublease out to stylists, nail technicians, massage therapists, anyone in the beauty, spa, health industry. And uh, so at this salon at each location, we have 26 suites that are, like I said, individually owned and operated. And part of the overall brand image was to have a cafe. That cafe is technically owned by the salon, but it is independent and separate from the salon. And that's where I come in. These guys hired me to build the brand, Uh, from the ground up and kind of create its own culture that matches the aesthetic style and experience that clients and stylists are receiving in the salon delivering the same exceptional experience in a cup of coffee. So we work with uh, a terrific construction crew contractor team to build out the salon and we're able to kind of like tuck in cafe plans in there as well. So in terms of like building timeline the salon isn't waiting on for us we're kind of waiting on the rest of the salon the encinitas location is a much bigger project we're jumping from 26 suites in solana beach to 43 in encinitas it's a much bigger building the cafe is actually getting a little smaller funnily enough um (laughs) but you know the reason the reason for that being you know in, in solana beach we've got a serving window to kind of service the outside the 101 and the community outside in encinitas uh it's just gonna be the inside point of sale so it's gonna be a little tidier, way more efficient. And, um, I have a little experience building a few other cafes where the goal was to create as tiny and efficient of a footprint, without compromising the quality of your product. So it was totally just repeating that same kind of experiment, you know, different equipment, slightly different layout, but you know, just kind of, how do we create a workspace where you can have one barista kind of just spin on their heel and attack all the different workflows and workstations, um, without stretching them out and <clears throat> without creating additional delays and also still offering coffee and tea and food and all that fun stuff. So, you know, I've been working really closely with our architect and our general contractor to kind of forecast what the timeline of the entire building looks like, because we can't open until the whole building passes inspection. We're kind of dependent on the material shortages, delays, construction crews, electric, plumbing, everything for the full building. Um, So all of that is definitely way over my head. But, you know, they're a really talented crew with a lot of experience. So when you start a project like this, like we broke ground probably, you know, five, six months ago, you can forecast all you want. At the end of the day, uh, reality is going to rear its head. And um, as we get closer to the holidays and the fall time, delays are kind of inevitable. People get sick. People have other jobs. It doesn't help that there's a pandemic still going on. It doesn't help that there are... Uh, truck driver shortages and as we get closer to the holidays, you know, people are starting to buy presents and gifts for you know Christmas and Hanukkah and that kind of exacerbates the trucker shortage problem. You know there are material shortages, material cost increases and it just totally compounds and exacerbates the deadline. So you know it's a bummer that you know we were hoping to open beginning of November and now it's slipping into maybe the beginning of December. but at the end of the day, considering all the different factors we have to work with, a month is a drop in the bucket.
0: You mentioned that all the individual suites are separate for the salons and, and the stylists and that sort of thing. But for the cafe is like the cafe menu at the Solana Beach location transferred to Encinitas and to your future projects so that there'll be consistency among those.
1: Yeah. And that's actually been my biggest concern with with as we scale and grow is, you know, we've set a really high bar in Solana Beach and I was confident in that bar. Um, but I want to make sure we copy paste that experience on all future locations. You know, I, I think people give. You know, larger coffee companies, you know, not going to name any names, it starts with S and S and Urbux, but they give them a lot of grief for being big coffee and, you know, and for, you know, making life difficult for all the other smaller businesses. And yeah, if I have my choice of, you know, shop to go to, they're probably not going to be my first one, but I think we do need to give them a lot of credit for being able to say, Hey, the cup of coffee you get in Albuquerque is going to be the same cup of coffee you get in Miami. It's going to be the same one you get in Dallas. It's going to be the same one you get in Portland. It's it's actually kind of remarkable that they can scale that much and you know maintain the expectation and the experience that you get wherever you go, provided you follow the instructions and everything else like that. So when creating an experience at a cafe where everything is premium, everything is high end, everything is made to order, and um, the quality of the product is kind of key, it kind of it's difficult to make that go hand in hand with convenience. So you know what I tell people is you know cafe Terre is uh, all about quality over convenience, but not quality at the compromise or at the sake of convenience. Uh, we want to make sure that you can have your cake and eat it too. So, you know, what I've been working on more intimately is developing a robust training program, making sure that we can have, you know, really clear and concise SOPs, and uh, that the baristas that I'm training, the people I'm bringing on, all get along well, really well with one another, and that they understand the product, they understand the mission, they understand what we're trying to accomplish here. In addition, on my end, since crossings is supplying coffee to all these different cafes, how can I source coffee and create a pipeline of delivery so that the coffees I'm getting aren't going to be rotating every other month because I've ran out. So it's sourcing coffees with, you know, different farms, different networks, and uh, making sure that, you know, we can say proudly, hey, this is going to be our drip offering for the next quarter. This is going to be our espresso offering for the next two quarters. Yeah, I just kind of really make sure that that, that sense of that consistency is there.
0: Well, that that leads me more into the crossings coffee roaster kind of questions, which is you're the founder and head roaster at crossings. Um, and you've mentioned earlier in the show that you're a coffee nerd and you're into all these things and you're passionate about it. You want to learn more, but that's being a coffee nerd doesn't necessarily mean you start a business. What, what inspired you to think to yourself, you know what, I'm going to do this on another level. I know you have a lot of coffee experience, but doing it for yourself as an entrepreneur putting your name on the bag putting your logo on the bag takes a different sort of commitment what was the inspiration for that that's a good question I do this a lot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think not knowing better no I'm kidding um that's a fair answer I feel like that's that's <laughs> half of the battle is not knowing that you shouldn't do something you know, yeah not yeah you're thinking yeah. it
1: Exactly. I think half the people come up and be like, what does it take to start a business? Can you teach me? Can you teach me? And it's like, I don't know if people have asked me or I've actually started consulting for different, you know, entrepreneurs and shop owners around the country. And, you know, if you're already in the thick of it, it's like, okay, cool. Well, how do we make this better? But for a lot of people that want to come up and they're telling me about their ideals and, and what their desires are and opening a cafe, it's kind of just like... I really want to be transparent, not sugarcoat what it's like for you. Like, it's not, it's not going to take you 10, 15 years of school and residency and, and, uh, entrepreneurship or, you know, it's, it's a different type of grind, but it's still a grind and it takes heart and soul and a lot of commitment to do so. Um, so you kind of have to be a bit, uh, a bit naive to jump into it. And then it's sink or swim, uh, for me personally, you know, I made my career switch kind of in the thick of a quarter-life existential crisis where I was set to go to med school. You know, I, I had taken my MCATs. I was in the process of applying. Um, you know, I had you know, nearly a decade of research experience on my back. You know, I had done all the things that I knew I needed to do to set my career up for a, a lifetime in medicine. And I, I woke up one morning kind of just feeling the dread of like, is this what I want to do for the next, you know, 16 years and then start my career? What is it that actually would make me happy to put my feet on the ground and be like, yeah, let's get this, you know, let's go, let's start the day? And I, I didn't feel that it was medicine. I didn't feel like it was working in a hospital. There's a lot that I romanticized and loved in the idea of being that kind of person that's contributing and helping their community in that way. But I also think I'm more innately a creator and. type of relationship that i wanted with people was something i focused on i actually had a really interesting experience with one of my fellow uh, internships where um, the the surgeon that i was shadowing he was just like it's an important question to ask yourself what kind of relationship do you want with the people you're working with you know do you want the kind of where you can see them you know once you know and uh and he's speaking in the context of like a patient you know he's like if you want to be you know like a like a cardiovascular surgeon for example you know, you're not going to have a relationship with your patient. They're, they may not even know who you are. They're going to see your name on their discharge paperwork, but like, they're just going to know you as some vague name that saved their life. Or would you rather have, you know, the relationship that maybe a neurologist would have, where you're having consistent, you know, check-ins and follow-ups with your patients. You may know them over years of time and, you know, you're not necessarily like one and done fixing them. It's an ongoing relationship, but it's that much more interesting. Like what type of interpersonal connections do you want to have with the people you're working with? And and that kind of stuck with me for a bit, and I realized that you know the, the thing that popped into my head was all throughout college I had this really great experience where my dad would pick me up Sunday morning and uh, you know he my uncle my grandfather and I would go to a different coffee shop Sunday mornings and it was kind of just like our routine and it was a really great experience for us to kind of all bond together and share what went on for us during the week, talk about anything from you know movies and cars and books and you know just day to day life stuff and at the time, I didn't realize how special it was. It was just part of the routine that I look forward to each week. But now, looking back, like those were some of the fondest memories that I have during my time in college, and um, especially that much more sweet um, ever since my grandfather had passed. But what was really cool was the different shops we go to. You know, I didn't know them one from the next. You know, maybe we'd go to paneer bed one day. Maybe we'd go to, you know. A, a a specialty roaster, the next, like, I didn't know the difference, but it was like that, that sense of community and that sense of quality time. And it was cool being a part of shops that had worked hard to curate an environment that allowed for us to have that thing. And now looking back, I think that was single-handedly, you know, the most important thing for me. So if I look forward to what I want to create with my name and my businesses and the things that I'm putting my hands on, you know, I want to create an environment of, community and kindness and uh, facilitate other people to have their own versions of what that experience was for me.
0: That leads you to Crossings. Where did that name come from for you? And I'm not assuming that those two things are connected, but it feels like there might be a, a not too too big of a leap there.
1: Yeah. So Crossings was um, the name I stumbled upon when thinking about what I wanted this brand to do. You know, I had this idea, this entity in my mind on what I wanted to accomplish. And essentially, if I if I distill it, it's I wanted to pursue coffee and beer. You know, down the road, I want Crossings to be a brand that, that embraces, you know, craft coffee and also craft beer. You know, San Diego, we're, we're fortunate enough to know both really, really well. And there are a few companies that have tried tackling both and a few of them do it really, really well. and. I think i can also do it really really well so um, i think coffee at the time was the more easy to approach first step and uh, in terms of overhead in terms of cost in terms of material in terms of equipment and training and licenses and permitting so that was the one i started with first Um, but the idea being crossings is the intersection of coffee and beer and you know since then the idea has evolved where you know i i like i said i kind of love all things fermented so Um, Now looking ahead, I kind of fantasize the idea where I can have a a business that focuses on coffee and beer and maybe spirits and wine and other fun fermented things that we may not even know about here in America, but are commonplace in other places around the world. So I really want to kind of broaden horizons and be able to reach out and, you know, explore and understand other cultures and what drinks, beverages are part of their everyday culture that, you know, we can take and appreciate here. I just think it's the coolest thing.
0: How, how long have you had Crossings as a as coffee available out to the world?
1: Uh, about five years.
0: About five years. And so where where is Crossings right now? Like what state of that business are you in? Are you in uh, the beginning phase is still after five years? Are you in a growth phase? Like what's your what are your current goals? So we started
1: out 2015, 2016, and we were in growth phase. And then I stumbled upon... Uh, an, another business relationship and crossings kind of took the back burner. Um, I still kind of maintained it and was doing some wholesale, some retail, but it was more of a passive project. And then, then I kind of went quiet for about a year and a half, two years where I kind of was working on a few different projects and it wasn't until maybe eight, 10 months ago, maybe almost close to a year now where. I kind of realized my vision again and kind of brushed the dust off and Kind of went full steam ahead. So I'd say we're definitely in the beginning phase again, if not kind of leaning into a pretty heavy growth stage as we speak.
0: That's uh, really interesting. You know, you just mentioned you brushed it off. I feel like, I feel like there there was always this sense when I was growing up that you you get to a point in your education and your experience where you sort of lock into a life, and whether that's a career or whatever it is, and. I haven't had that experience at all in my real life. Uh, but I think I thought I would, you know, that I would find a place to settle and that would just be my life. And I think the pandemic might have shaken the dust loose on a lot of people who maybe felt that they were in that position or that they were stuck in a cycle and it gave them time to think about, is this really what I want to fucking do with the rest of my life? Uh, excuse my language, everyone. And so that's, I'm not saying that's what happened with you, but I think there's a lot of people who are in a similar boat who are deciding right now, or have decided recently. Am I going to change this path that I'm on? And and I say in particular because we see in the news all the time there's not enough workers, there's not enough hospitality workers, there's not enough this, and and part of that is because people are going, man, is this really the life that I want to choose? And we're in this. It, it'll it'll work itself out in the end where there'll be enough people to do different things and enough people passionate about this, enough people leaving medicine to go into hospitality or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're in that middle period still. And so we're, we're all kind of seeing that happen in real time, which is a really unique uh, yeah. experience. You mentioned uh, shipping. And I just want to say, like, I, I know, like, the port of LA and Long Beach are now 24-7. And we've been watching videos, you know, overhead videos of ships just parked out at sea and uh if you haven't seen that and you're listening to this you should go check it out because it's pretty amazing to see like the actual physical logistics in action and um, we had just received some orders but i remember looking at that video and thinking i wonder which one of those ships my thing is on you know <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if i could take a boat out to the ship and like find my package yeah,
1: can i just get it myself please <laughs>
0: let's talk a little bit about the roasting that you're doing. Um, where are you roasting? Do you have your own roastery? What's, um, and then what's kind of your philosophy behind the roasts that you're putting out?
1: Yeah. Great. Um, so when I first launched crossings, I, uh, maybe stupidly, I, I bought a, um, a roaster just off the bat just to commit myself. You know, I knew that I was changing careers and I knew I wanted to kind of sink, you know, my fangs in. So I bought a Diedrich, uh, five kilo roaster, like right a big roaster,
0: head, not a big like roaster. a popcorn popcorn like like no, a big, no, yeah, legitimate roaster, yeah,
1: yeah, not like a you know, not like a huge huge roaster, but definitely something serious where I couldn't back out. Um, and you know, there was about a three four month lead time. I even flew out to Idaho where it was being manufactured, and got to be a part of the manufacturing process, see it being built. That was really really cool. And by the time it arrived, I had found other means to roast. I have friends who had roasters that were generous enough to allow me to roast on their machine and uh kind of got into the flow that way and so the roaster arrived and when i thought i would have had a you know warehouse set up ready to install that thing and start ripping away it was just easier to continue roasting on the machines that i was on so it sat in my garage and then you know life came and went and you know other projects came and went and you know five years later this big ass crate apologies for my language was still sitting in my garage and um I actually a little under a year ago started roasting at the california roasting collective in san marcos where elliot has created an amazing facility for roasters all across town to come and use you know and he did such a great job kind of checking all the boxes when it comes to receiving and shipping and bagging sealing roasting like everything you could possibly need in your ideal roasting space he's got it and so i was kind of left thinking like well what do i still need this thing for so i um reached out to coffee tech and they were fantastic to work with and made it really easy to find another buyer who did want a machine like mine. And it made it even easier that I hadn't, you know, I had opened the crate up once just to kind of take, you know, a peek and see what it looked like, but the crate was already there. So it was in and out, no problem. And yeah, so now I'm roasting at the collective, roasting on a San Franciscan SF25. And it's an awesome machine. It's pretty similar to the Diedrich. You know, it's a nice heavy, you know, drum roaster. It's a little bigger than my little five kilo And that just makes even, you know, roasting for the cafe that much easier. So it was almost like a blessing in disguise, um, just in, in time and setup and overhead, you know, just for the sake of, for the sake of comparison, you know, that the Diedrich, it will do, you know, five kilo roasts, you know, safely, you'll do like eight to nine pound roasts per batch, four batches an hour, the 25 I can roast, you know, 18, 19 pound batches in that same amount of time. So I'm doubling my production in the same amount of time. It just, it would be a no brainer. You know, the amount of time I'm saving, you know, I've got all these different projects going on right now. It's nice to be able to say, okay, rather than booking or time blocking 20 hours a week roast, I can block out eight to 10.
0: This season, it seems that the, it's coming up a lot more often, but the manufacturing component of coffee roasting, which is I think we all have this romanticized ideal of what coffee and coffee roasting is. But the idea that it's actually somebody standing next to a machine that is hot and they are putting things in and pulling levers, and that's that concept seems to be coming up more and more this season. You mentioned earlier um, about the care that you, you take and you're working with farmers. What is kind of the overall crossings philosophy behind the beans that you're giving to people? Do you guys have... I don't want to start throwing out terms like sustainable or fair trade organic. I honestly don't know. I'm wondering what is it that you're looking for in a coffee that you're sourcing? And then how are you, how are you preparing that for the rest of us?
1: Yeah, that's a great question as well. So it's, it's a little multifaceted, um, for crossings as you know, my business, my, my, my focus is finding, you know, exquisite coffees and then sharing them with the people. So, I love working with, you know, primarily I was working with like Cafe Imports or Red Fox or all these other importers, but I recently came into contact with um, a new collective and I'm not going to share too, lot about, too much about that quite yet, it's still in the works. But it's a, uh, a woman owned uh, farm and she's doing some wicked cool experiments on everything from Katuras to uh, Bourbons to Catuai's uh, and all these different heirloom varieties. And so I'm really excited to start bringing those coffees in. Um, and basically I think each coffee is an opportunity to highlight a unique process in the coffee making world um, whether it's highlighting you know resource management from a particular region or uh, a new way we can you know harvest and, and ferment coffees to you know a wild variety that maybe just hasn't gotten a lot of airtime yet I kind of want crossings to be the window to the rest of the world where we can be like hey you may not have heard about this thing here let's you know try it out together and see what you think So right now I I kind of have a two pronged approach on my product offerings. You know, I use these words before and it's kind of just a nice way to kind of differentiate the two, but like daily drivers and high flyers, you know, the daily drivers are going to be the coffees that you can drink day to day. They're going to be delicious. You can put cream and sugar in them. You can drink them black. Um, They're going to be delicious. They're not specialty. They're not um, wild or, you know, going to be something you have to like sip and appreciate.
0: They're the coffee that you you can sit and drink with your dad and your grandfather and across generations like you did, exactly. and everyone's happy.
1: Or on a wonderful uh, podcast, you know. <laughs> but um, the other half are going to be these high flyers, and these are going to be the coffees that are maybe a little bit different where you're going to go out of your way because it's a special bean. There's something unique about it, um, whether it's the way it's tasting or whether it was like fermented or whether it was – you need to be roasted, or you know, it's it's rare. It's you know, it's it's a special bean, and so I don't want to focus on just really exquisite, you know, high point graded coffees. And I also don't want to focus on coffees that you have to, you know, you know, throw cream and sugar into to make tolerable. I kind of want to like hit both and give people an option to choose whether they want to pull from the top shelf or you know something from the daily driver menu. But sure. Um, in addition to the, to those two, I, you know, work with a few different cafes around town and I'm in a sense, I guess like white labeling, but white labeling myself, but it's curating a menu for them based off what they want to serve. So for Cafe the for, Terre, for example, we are, you know, we are able to kind of sit down and be like, okay, this is what we want the space to physically look like. This is the type of like white glove experience we want people to feel like. What type of coffee do we want to have? What does that menu look like? What type of syrups are we going to be using? What type of milk are we going to be using? And then kind of working back to, okay, what kind of coffee is going to best serve this overall image? And so from that, I, you know, source coffees specifically for this cafe um, that are going to fit that kind of menu offering ask. And then, you know, I do the same thing for all my other clients as well. If they want something that's going to be a little bit more acidic, or maybe it's going to be a little bit more fruity, juicy, something that tastes like bubblegum, whatever you're looking for, like we can work together to make that happen. I don't think it's very difficult. And it's kind of cool where I think shops get to feel a little bit more special in that, you know, they had a, a a voice in choosing what type of coffee they want to serve.
0: Sure that engagement with your what your engagement with them is is also an engagement with the end drinker because that shop is curating that selection for the people they think are coming into their shop and that might be different in, you well, know, each uh, different community. Totally. And even different pockets of each different community. So that's where you're at now. What what's next what where do you see crossings going where do you see this project going in the next six months a year 10 years what's what's your vision board so take over the world of course um <laughs> you and you and every coffee roaster I talk to, take <laughs> yeah. over. except for maybe jimmy silva at jaunt he doesn't want to take over the world he just you know he wants to make coffee and live the good life
1: <laughs> that sounds nice too i could be happy doing this the rest of my life Another big part of what I want to do with with The Crossings Brand is use it as like a platform to help the community. You know, I spoke to kind of creating a space for people to come and sit and chat and have a really good time. And I also still want to be able to kind of, I guess, lean into like the more humanitarian side of things as well. You know, medicine and helping my community, helping people who need help is still kind of a big calling for me. And even though I'm not going to be, you know, fixing brains and, and mending hearts physically, I think there are a lot of underserved communities there's a lot of space to help just our own local backyard whether it's uh, shelters or you know food drives uh, homelessness you name it there's you know our city needs help every city needs help and I think if we have the ability to do better and do more then it's kind of almost an obligation to do so if I can use this business as a means to kind of check both boxes both here in town and also where I'm sourcing coffee from not to say it's like charity work or anything. I'm not trying to to speak to that, but like if I have the ability to be able to work with maybe the communities who could use a little extra support and I have the means and ability to do so, then how cool is that? I want to leave at that opportunity. So I am slowly working crossings into a space where we get to do just that. So I'm still very much in kind of like data collecting phase right now, you know, receiving queries. If anyone listening here has, a resource or a uh an organization that they'd love to you know connect me with i would love to talk and see if there's a way we can make it happen crossings is not you know my full-time gig it's not my like source of income it's it's really a passion project right now so i want to take chances and leap at the opportunity to be able to use it as like a resource for anyone really um And then, you know, long-term goals, five, 10 years down the line, I definitely would love to still lean into, you know, maybe offering a brewery component or maybe get into distilling winemaking. I don't even know.
0: You are part of this Café La Terre family um, as well. And I know from talking to you previously that there's big ambitions there for multiple cafes and multiple salons kind of all over the place. Does that create a situation in which creating a Crossings coffee roaster location of its own? Uh, is possible or not possible? Or how does that relationship work?
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I would definitely love to open up a crossings, uh, brick and mortar at some point in the future. I think it's going to be like a right time, right place, kind of a thing. And, uh, the cafe Terre is the, the, it's where most of my focus and efforts going right now, you know, we've got, you know, one already built number two is on the way with plans to build, you know, three to four more after the fact, you know, and, and my goal isn't to like, you know, man all five you know by myself but to build kind of a team of leadership and a a network of people where we can collectively manage this experience together and once we get to five six locations you know we definitely want to see if there's room to open up more and i would love to be a part of it as well and i also want to make sure i don't dismiss you know my goals and desires for crossings and if that looks like you know opening a a cafe of my own i want to make sure i can do that without disrupting what we're building here at cafe Terre as well
0: yeah absolutely If there was only going to be one Crossings coffee roast that I should try, one daily driver, which one is it?
1: I just actually, last night, got in a new Columbia uh, from Wheela. It's a pretty special coffee. Sample roasted it a few weeks ago. I was super excited. I had to buy the last six bags they had on the spot. So that'll be hitting the shelves in about a few days. I would say that's the one to try right now
0: and we just we were just seeing in the news about the shortage in the Colombian coffee crop so that that Colombian coffee crop will be shifting as we go forward one thing i think that is interesting about coffee is how far ahead these future i'm trying to think of the right term here everyone but uh, how far ahead we're planning with like farm crops and it's all kind of dependent on this this thing that is constantly changing because if you order a 1,000 bags from a, a farm and they only have 850 at the end of the season, somebody's losing out. And so that's yeah. going to be interesting to watch. Is there anything else that you'd like us to know about either the cafe or crossings or anything else that you're working on?
1: Yes. I can't quite speak to them <laughs> quite yet. They're, they're not quite ready yet, but pretty much we're, we're in a really kind of like Scary and exciting time right now. And everyone's been using that term, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're still in a pandemic, everyone. Um, And there's a lot of change. And I think that pandemic, like you were speaking to earlier, has given everyone an opportunity to kind of reflect and be like, okay, what more do I want to do? What else can I do? What else is available to me? And um, I'm no exception to that. Um, I think the pandemic was definitely pivotal in kind of me redirecting my focus back to what i originally set out to do and that was crossings i think i've been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to work with cafe Later and i'm ex- excited to keep on building this up the way that we have and there are a lot of really great things to come um, i really <laughs> want to share more I, I i can't quite yet
0: i'll just call you back in and in i'll call you back every month we'll get you a five yeah, minutes yeah, yeah, on yeah. the let's show and say what's. <laughs> Can you tell us anything today? No? Okay. See you later. And we'll try again. Same time next month. (laughs) (laughs) Alden, I I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, I've been to your cafe and had a chance to sit and talk with you and always had a great experience there. So I'm excited to see that things are growing and things are progressing and that crossings is becoming a bigger part of that. So congratulations.
1: Thank you. And thank you so much for having me on here. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it.
0: To recap, Café La Terre and Crossings Coffee Roasters are both growing, and with Alden at the wheel, they will definitely keep pushing forward. He seems like someone who likes to take on big challenges. Alden talked about his roasting philosophy and his desire to provide daily drivers, which are coffees you drink every day, and high flyers, which are unique specialty coffees crafted to entice the specialty coffee drinker. We all have those comfort coffees that we fall back on when we need to restock at home. And we also have the desire to surprise our palates with something special when we're out and about. Finally, Fixing Brains and Mending Hearts feels like a great name for a punk rock band that is real jacked up on espresso which they drink on the stage before tossing the Demitasse cups into the crowd. I mentioned that to Alden and for some reason I think it may have stuck, so I expect him to be starting that band shortly. I think it was only a coincidence that I mentioned Jimmy Silva from Jaunt Coffee Roasters on the show. And last week, Jaunt announced that they received some big-time 93- and 94-point scores from Coffee Review. And last week, Sirius and Kulsa of Lofty Coffee and I discussed Coffee Reviews on our Coffee Smarter episode. I think it's a coincidence, but I don't want to upset the coffee gods, so I made a point to reach out to Jimmy this week to get his perspective on Coffee Reviews, why he as a business owner decided to submit his coffee for review, how those reviews help his business, and how they might be interpreted by consumers, he was game for a call, so I hit record on my phone. I wanted to welcome you back uh, on the show. It's, it's not often we have a, a guest on a second time, so I appreciate it. But it seemed awesome. it seemed uh, prescient because earlier, when we talked in the season, you were just just announcing that you had received some ninety-point scores for a coffee that you had come out, and last week. Uh, Siri and I were talking about coffee review and just coffee, what they mean and coffee reviews. And Lofty Coffee, uh, who Siri Simran also works for, they don't submit for reviews of any kind ever. It's just not something they do. And so I had just seen the news that you just received two more 90-point scores, a 94 Ethiopia and a 93 Colombia. And just for background on that show kind of talked a little bit about how coffee review does their reviews um, and a little bit about what coffee reviews meant to me as a consumer. I'm wondering about you as a roaster, like why get coffee reviewed at all? And then what makes you decide like, this is the coffee that I'm going to send in and have someone judge me?
2: Um, well, first for Mar- for Mar- I did it because I wanted to see where my coffee roasts were at comparatively to other roasters because that is the one place where you can submit your coffee to professionals, coffee professionals that are Q graders. This is what they have trained for and this is what they do in coffee review. This is what they do for a living. So they will have a um, good judgment about the quality of coffee that's being roasted in the U.S. and uh, around the world. People submit coffee to them and, you know, based On their reviews and their scores, you get more or less an idea of where you're at. So that's why I did that. And I wanted to submit my coffee to Q graders to see what they thought of the coffee. This is what they do professionally. So to get their opinion is valuable to me as a coffee roaster to see where my coffee stands and also to see where my coffee stands comparatively to uh, other roasters around the world. So why do it? That's the main reason to do it. A second reason to do it, obviously it helps with sales because there are a lot of coffee people out there that uh, will judge coffee and coffee roasters and coffee brands by things like coffee reviews. And it's also for myself, I want to showcase that I am in fact, roasting quality coffee. And this is one way for people to actually uh, know that to understand that my coffee is quality coffee, you know. So, you, uh, those are the two main reasons why I, I do it. You know, because you can tell people that your coffee is great all you want, but if there's not some sort of, you know, someone saying that, you know, someone getting an award or someone getting something at a competition or getting their coffee's reviewed, who is to say that yeah, my coffee is great unless you submit it to. Uh, professionals or be at a roasting competition or doing something of the sort to actually be able to showcase your coffee and you know be awarded something
0: with these two coffees that you just uh, got scores for i shouldn't assume this but do you i'm assuming you don't send every single coffee you roast out to get scored what was it about these two that made you think yeah i want these are the ones i want to send and i think they are the best representation of what i'm doing right now
2: yeah i think we've sent total one two three four five six about nine copies now uh those particular copies is just copies that i loved i just thought like wow this is really a standout (laughs) coffee and this is this is really delicious um is, is it as good as I'm thinking it is? You know, cause one thing is giving it to, uh, your customer and another thing is giving it to another coffee professional and they're probably gonna have completely different uh, opinions, uh, about the coffee and what they're tasting. And, um, so coffee review is a place where you, you send it to get it, um, pretty much assessed where others are also sending their coffee to get assessed the same way that yours is being evaluated. So those particular coffees, honestly, they just tasted great to me. And I give them to my staff. they like, yeah, this is really good. I'm like, yeah, we can cup. and I'm Like, yeah, let's let's submit it and see what happens. And yeah, sometimes we think a coffee is greater than it is, and then you get a lower score back. But It doesn't mean that it's not a great coffee because I just got another one that hasn't been posted. I got a 92, but I really love it. Another Ethiopian that's not out yet. But.
0: Well, that's a question. That's a good question then. What would you consider a good assessment? Like if I see 92, I think, oh, that's like an A. But for you who's got 93, 94, 95 or whatever, is it the same? Or do you look at it now after kind of been through the process a few times going, "Eh, well, I could have done better? Like, or is it yeah, just
2: always, you, like that's like the endless, that's like a rabbit hole of roasting and brewing coffee? Is like, oh, like the first time I submitted coffee, I got a 90, a 91, and a 92. And I was thrilled just to get a 90. I was like, oh, wow, this coffee like, it can score a 90. Like, I knew it was good, I didn't know it was that good. But then I submitted another one where I got a 90, uh, I got a 95, and I'm like, what? Like, I couldn't believe I got a 95 on the coffee. So then it's like, oh, yeah, like, you just need to keep hitting those, like, 94s, 95s. But, you know, that's not the the goal per se um, running a business. But as a coffee roaster, yeah, you're always trying to source the best coffee you can and roast it the best you can and then get it assessed by coffee professionals and get their opinion on it. And then at the same time, when you cup it and taste it, you can see what their notes were, how they assessed it, what they're tasting. And then it's also a good way for when you cup coffee to learn how to taste coffee and what they tasted. it. like, oh yeah, I kind of do taste that or I don't taste that at all. Or, you know, it's just like, it's also uh, an educational uh, uh, platform of sorts for, for myself to, to like, to learn how to taste coffee uh,
0: better. Sure. Well, and the last thing I'll leave you with today, and I just, again, I appreciate you taking a few extra minutes uh, this season, is that kind of leads me into this idea of reviews in general as a customer and why we should should trust them or why we should look to them. I think I both love and hate reviews simultaneously, you know, depending on the source, like when I'm traveling, I use them to break down like, okay, this is kind of like the range I want to stay in. But at the same time, I go, okay, well, I see examples on Yelp, for example, which can be super frustrating. Like, okay, if it's not a five, they basically will tank you. Or if it's, you know, if you were to be on, like, you can't have a million five-star restaurants. Like, how does that work? So why, why should customers go, yeah, you know what, I buy these reviews?
2: Um, I think there's so many roasters out there now. That if someone wants like something like a really special, really like something above average or really great tasting coffee, it's a way to find those coffees instead of, you know, there's just so many people out there. So where do I go? Like, what source do I have to like get like a coffee that I know is going to be like superb? Like, where do I go for that? Like, I don't know, like my local roaster down the street, is that, are they one of those guys? Or is it like, like, where do I go to find that information? At the same time, should you just buy a coffee that you find a coffee review? Well, no, because there's a lot of great coffee out there. Just like you said, guys from Lofty, they don't even submit their coffee, but they have great coffee, you know? But would someone in New York know that? No. Just like... When I got the ninety five score, I got more orders from Boston and New York than San Diego. Like more people in the East Coast drink that coffee than people here in, in San Diego. Interesting. So it's a source, just it's like
0: the it's like the Google to find good coffee, it's coffee review. Coffee
2: enthusiasts, you know?
0: Yeah, and there is something to be said when you see a consistent level of reviews. I try never to look at like one specific review myself. I go, Okay, well they've gotten a hundred reviews and ninety of them were great and ten of them were maybe less than perfect or whatever, but consistently there seems to be something going on there and I can assume there's gonna be some crazies on either end of that review spectrum. Exactly. It's yeah, like them out. Yelp,
2: you know, like when yeah. you get Yelp reviews for your shops, like you get four or five uh, five-star reviews but all it takes is one like yeah bad experience to bring that review down to four and then like it consumes your time as a consumer like reading these reviews to see if it's worth it. It's like sometimes just, just just go and just go for like <laughs> trust most of the reviews i'd say just like myself if i have like nine or ten 90 plus scored coffees there's a good chance that even if you get a coffee that's not one of those coffees, it's gonna be a really great coffee. Just because it kind of shows that we are really committed to quality. And therefore, there's a good chance you're gonna get a good bag of coffee because it's a bummer when you, you go and spend sixteen to who knows now what a bag of coffee <laughs> to go for. <laughs> that's the four ounces of coffee itself for ninety dollars. It's like I'm never buying that, no matter how good that is.
0: But, we we say that, know. but we we say we'll never buy it, and then one day you find yourself going, well, maybe. Yeah,
2: the temptation <laughs> is, is is grand. With the way things are nowadays, you have to be almost decisive with your purchases, and not you know, and mm-hmm. uh, spend spend uh, your money um, where you know it's going to be like you're going to have a good cup of coffee or you're going to have a good bag of coffee.
0: I know I said that was the last question, but I'm gonna give you one more, which is just, it's. we're coming up on the holidays. Do you guys have anything planned? Anything people should be like, hey, we want to support Jaunt through Thanksgiving, you know, December and, and so forth.
2: we don't have anything planned of sorts. Uh, we are doing various, um, we did one uh, trying to raise funds for elementary schools here in Mira Mesa, where we're located. And we're going to have another one coming up soon. We're just trying to figure out the details. Um, So that would be great. People could come out and support that, help raise funds for these schools and their their school programs. We're also going to be doing probably, we did it last year, we're probably going to do this year, 12 days of uh, giveaways to customers, bags, merch, maybe even a grinder or two, um, you know, gift cards, just as... uh, more of a thank you to the community than, than anything else because without them during the last year and a half to two years, I mean, we wouldn't be here and to have our business like do as well as it's doing, it's all because of them. And that's like it's the least I can do is try to raise funds for the, the kids and the community here in Mira Mesa the elementary schools and also do like giveaways or whatnot.
0: Very cool. Um, and people can get that on, uh, it's at John Coffee Roasters. On Instagram? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's where we'll direct them. Thank you, Jimmy. I really appreciate you taking some time. No,
2: no problem wrong. Thank you so much. <laughs> you bet, man. I see you.
0: A big thank you to Mr. Silva for coming back on the show and a congratulations are due to the team at John Coffee for their high scores recently. Just in case you missed it, you can head to roastwestcoast.com or your fave podcast platform, be it Spotify or Apple. To listen to last week's Coffee Smarter episode about coffee reviews, and I need to give a special thanks to Alden for his time today, and for being so forthright and willing to engage. That's all for Roast West Coast today. We share the links of all of our show partners like Maria Coffee, Leap Coffee, Zoombar Coffee and Tea, First Light Whiskey, Camp Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee, Moster Coffee, Steady State Coffee, and Coffee Cycle on the website roastwestcoast.com where you can also sign up for a subscription, free or paid, to get this show sent right to your email inbox. And if you'd like to see a travel television version of Roast West Coast out in the world, please send a tweet towards Netflix. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. And please, always tip your baristas... And be sure to drink good coffee.